Welcome back to Max Monday. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Another one. Doing one more again. again. Locked and loaded. Ready Locked to and do, loaded. Ready to do things. Um, <laughs> God, guys, we're back. Uh, it's, yes. it's reading time again. Welcome, welcome to 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 the Mark's Madness Reading Corner. We're rebranding. We're gonna be we're gonna be more fuzzy. We're gonna be more welcoming to people. Come on now, happy, guys. Happy Everybody, come on fun in. Time. Everybody, yep. sit on your sit on your beanbag chairs. Uh, get out, get out your happy time stuff, and let's let's yes. just let's just read some books. But before Absolutely. we read some books. Um, oh boy! Let's 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 talk about some things. So today, as we record this, so it'll <sighs> yeah. be almost a week in the past when you hear this. Um, yeah. It, well, don't be sad. It's Asada Shakur's birthday. We're talking about happy oh. shit. Oh, that's a what? good shit. Okay. Yeah. I thought you we were going to talk so about depressed. like. Okay, I thought we were going to talk about the bad things. Well, I mean, now, I'm going to make you now talk about the bad things after I get to say ah, happy birthday shit. to uh, Asada right. Shakur, who did happy it was, birthday to revolutionary um, and current. Uh, Cuban resident Asada Shakur. Get it? Uh, she. I saw a quote today of her referring to herself, her situation as she. She was a modern day runaway slave, and I just thought that was so apropos of everything we're, we're reading about here <laughs> yeah. and all of that stuff. But uh, yes, all all power, all power. Hmm. Now, David, tell me about bad things. Uh, it sounded like you had some on the tip. Of your, I wasn't going to talk about bad things, but you sounded so I, like determined. I, I, to I do wasn't it. gonna, but the way you did that turn, I thought we were going to bring up uh, Trump literally sending like shock troops into Portland and shit like that. Oh come on, man! That's par for the course at this point. That's All not right. new. That's not new. All hey, right, no. You know what? We'll do a quick. You know what, guys? It's been a hot second. We're gonna do a quick Wall Street Journal shit headline of the week. Oh, shit God. headline of the week. It's been a hot second. Um, I'm not even gonna look up the whole thing because it doesn't bother. It doesn't bear like giving it any time. But uh, the, the, early this morning there was a fun Wall Street Journal blurb that's been repeated a couple of times today. Of guys, breathless, breathless clutch of pearls. The Russians are at it again. Oh God! What are they trying to? Are they trying to hijack our elections again, Rachel? What are they doing? What are they doing? Tell me what the bad Russians are doing. Oh well, they're trying to steal COVID pa- uh, uh, vaccine research, guys. Guys, oh, the no. darn Ruskies are trying to close a gap on the how how dare more people bastards. work on a cure for covid how Maybe dare that they? information shouldn't be walled off in any meaningful way we should be kind of like trying to figure out this whole global pandemic thing as a yes. you know wacky ideas guys wacky ideas um Just you know they might one. solve it in a way that makes you a communist so you can't have that uh well you know the solution um i'm trump basically uh said the cdc was going to stop keeping record yeah they, well they're still going to stop getting yeah they're not going to get it anymore. yeah goes directly yeah. to the white house we can't see it yeah so it's Good. no it's no longer public uh how many cases are out there is a mystery surprise yeah, nobody no, knows how people fun. are going to get it it's a magic disease it's magic nobody has it anymore it just goes away yeah you don't have it no one has it it's good. We're good. It's all good. It's all fine. Um, good times. That's so. Yeah, we're not. I don't want to do any more of that right now. Y'all, y'all yeah. have other current event podcasts in your feed. That's not what you're here for. You're here for us to read a goddamn book. So we're gonna read yes. you that goddamn book. <laughs> Judge Humphrey of Alabama. Oh, it's always gonna start good, guys. Nothing bad ever happens when <laughs> Alabama judges step in. <laughs> the finest of people. The finest of people. <laughs> Judge Humphrey of Alabama said, roll tide. And then he said, I believe in case of a return to the union, we would receive political cooperation so as to secure the management of that labor by those who were slaves. Hmm. There really is no difference, in my opinion, whether we hold them as absolute slaves or obtain their labor by some other method. 
You, you mean like paying them? Of yeah. course we prefer the old method, you don't say, but that question is not now before us. Well, he's a reasonable man at least. He's a that sensible was, dude. That was the most unsurprising quote I have ever heard. As <laughs> soon as you said, yeah. judge from Alabama. <laughs> judge from Alabama really wishes we had slavery. Flash forward 200 years and his great-great-grandson, Grandpappy, I found a way. Have you heard of the 13th Amendment? It's a coming. Oh, God. Good times. The carceral state is going to do great wonders for us. Um, A 12-year resident of Alabama said, now that sentence is a little misleading because I do not know if this is a 12-year-old from Alabama or an old person who's just lived in Alabama for 12 years. Having not read ahead, let's play that game together. There is a kind of innate feeling, a lingering hope among many in the South that slavery will be regalvanized. No, this is definitely not a 12-year-old. No, we're 12-year-old knows regalvanized uh, in some shape or another. They tried by their laws to make a worse slavery than there was before, for the freedman has not now the protection which the master and interest gave him before. Oh, lordy. This is starting out well. Glad I'm not drinking for this one. Mm. Every day, the press of the South testifies to the outrages that are being perpetrated upon the unoffending colored people by the state militia. These outrages are particularly flagrant in the states of Alabama and Mississippi and are of such character as to demand most imperatively the interposition of the national executive. Why would you just the president just say the president? These men are rapidly inaugurating a condition of things, a feeling among the freedmen that will, if not unchecked, ultimate in insurrection. The freedmen are peaceable and inoffensive. Yet if the whites continue to make it all their lives are worth to go through the country as free people have a right to do, they will goad them to the point which submission and patience cease to be a virtue. Oh, God. Dang. They're going to teach them that they're people and they're all going to rise up. It ain't good. It's our American I don't, way of life. I don't understand. I really don't understand what was going on there. Um, testifies the oh, no, I do. They're, they're basically yeah, they're I doing the it, Nancy so I processing. You you explain this. Yeah, it, that it's it's the Nancy Pelosi is a communist and they're going to tell you you don't need cops anymore kind of line is, is basically what it is. It's and... it's if Lincoln keeps coming through and telling these freed people that they're all free, they're going to stop being polite and submissive and they're going to get ideas in their head and rise up. They're, they're bad. Oh. This is terrible. Yeah, that's not good. That's no bad. That's no bueno. Mm-hmm. I call your attention to this matter after reading and hearing from the most authentic sources, officers and others. Guys, if there is one source you could trust, it's cops and others. Mm-hmm. Um, or military very, officers and very others. specifically specified others, yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. The vague other. Uh, for weeks of the con- continuance of the militia robbing the colored people of their property, arms, shooting them in the public highways if they refused to halt when so commanded, and lodging them in jail if found from home without passes, and ask as a matter of simple justice to an unoffended, unoffending and downtrodden people that you use your influence to induce the president to issue an order or proclamation forbidding this organization of state militia. I don't. That sounds like a rudimentary KKK that they're rounding up down there. Yeah, that does sound like that. This and, whole thing, it's, I it's, think. I think what they're trying to do is is. It, let me make sure I'm processing this right. Yeah, let's, but it let's, sounds like what he's trying to say is that the KK. He's either trying to say the KKK is threatening people. Um, you know, now they don't have the, pro- it's basically a threat. Like now they don't have the protection of their masters. Yeah. So now we're going to round them up and, and cage them and kill them. And I mean, basically what cops do. Yeah. Right. 
um, I mean, let's and, be real, the cops you know, existed as a slave catching force. That's their whole origin right, yeah. story. I mean, let's, yeah, this is, this is the transition, right. Um, you know, and that's what you get, um, unless you go tell that, that president to, to shove it and back off or, and here's the other insidious thing that it almost reads like, and I'm not sure if that's what he's trying to do, uh, is, is the, the 12, but then if, if they're trying to do this, I'm not sure why, um, Du Bois left it in there unchecked. Uh, the 12 year resident might be trying to say like, trying to blame the KKK as like a secret force of Lincoln trying to goad the militia to come down there. But I, I think it's the first one, but those are the two things it reads as. Yeah. Continuing in Mississippi, in respectful earnestness, I must say that if at the end of all the blood that has been shed and the treasure expended, the unfortunate Negro is to be left at the hands of his infuriated and disappointed former owners to legislate and fix his status, God help him for his cup of bitterness will overflow indeed. Was ever such a policy conceived in the brain of men before? That's <laughs> okay. Um, so now that's coming back to the the first thought is is yeah. you know the KKK is a real threat and they're saying like you know basically they won this war Lincoln did this war and and they're not doing enough to protect the the yeah, black freed people. They're not doing enough to protect um, the freed because the because the angry Southerners, the angry plantation owners and plantation workers and stuff like that are a threat to their lives and they're attacking them. And yeah. here we get into, I think here we get into the context. This might be another one where if we were reading it straight through, we may have remembered the context of where we were at, but then we go to Sumner quotes. So again, this is back ah. to Charles Sumner, who is obviously going to be talking in a more sympathetic nature towards, uh, towards the freedmen and that, that nature. So yeah. Sumner quotes an authority of peculiar value, a gentleman writing from Mississippi, an, an authority of peculiar value. It's just like, come on, just say what he does, people. I regret to state that under the civil power deemed by all the inhabitants of Mississippi to be paramount, the condition of the freedmen in many portions of the country has become deplorable and painful in the extreme. I must give it as deliberate as my deliberate opinion that the freedmen are today in the vicinity where I am now writing worse off in most respects than when they were held as slaves. If matters are permitted to continue on as they now seem likely to be, it needs no profit to predict a rise on the part of the colored population and a terrible scene of bloodshed and desolation. Nor can anyone blame the Negroes if this proves to be the result. I have heard since my arrival here of numberless atrocities that have been perpetrated upon the freedmen. It is sufficient to state that the old overseers are in power again. The object of the Southerners appears to be to make good their often repeated assertions to the effect that the Negroes would die if they were freed. To make it so, they have de seemed determined to goad them to desperation in order to have an excuse to turn upon and annihilate them there we go that's it and yeah. that's that's and that, all there yeah and and again you know i mean that's permanent or uh, pertinent today but that's something we were saying reading the past few pages is that stuff sounds like a threat right you know i mean oh, yeah. it, you know if you're free you'll you'll suffer worse you're lucky to be in our care and and who's gonna save you and you know if, if you're free you'll all die off and it's like well that sounds very threatening you know and, it, yeah. and you get the same notion with people like you know it, people that are 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 actively oppressed by cops who are not protected by cops who realize cops don't protect you, um, you know, are threatened with, well, if the cops aren't there, who's going to protect you? Mm -hmm. That means they want to kill you. Who's going to protect you yeah. from us? <laughs> yeah, yes, when we exactly. There, start there's an invisible, there's an implied from me when you yeah. say shit like that. And again, here it is. And this is even different than that, that argument. So the cop argument, uh, there is no, there, there is no assumed protection there. The concept that the police protect the people is very similar to the concept that, uh, you know, slave owners protected slaves, except in the sense that a slave owner did have a vested interest most of the time in keeping other people from fucking with his slaves. 
Yeah. Um, if I'm a slave owner, I don't want Jimbo down the road to come in and kill one of my slaves. That would be bad for business. Whereas right. a cop has no other, and they don't, they don't have that level of incentive even And here. Now that that baseline level of, I need you to make more money. So I'm going to keep you alive because it's more reasonable to exploit you than it is to kill you. Now that that's gone, everyone, everyone's on the same team. It's, it's yeah. all right. We're going to now all team up and, and do the thing we've been wanting to do forever uh, that you've been holding me back from doing. And yeah, I mean, we, we talked about that before. That's that's one of the grotesque things about chattel slavery is is the level of dehumanization. There's no there's no slavery that humanizes people. And there's no slavery that's nope. humane. But chattel slavery is totally unique in the level of of inhumanity it imposes on you uh, because you're literally that you're literally chattel. You are. Uh, nothing but an investment you are you are a straight up piece of um uh, constant capital yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what you are you you're know the you're wheel. at yeah you're you're at, at best no different than a mule uh more appropriately if you cause less than a mule you're no you're no better than a wagon that they have to feed yep. you know um and they're the only thing that's giving you any value at all is the investment you're an asset and now these are people that are angry that they lost their asset uh they're very begrudging like how dare you take my wealth away i was i was sitting high on the hog and you did this to me and i want vengeance Mm -hmm. and also the only thing that was protecting you was that you're an asset because they've never thought of you human or they wouldn't have enslaved you and so now here they come and so the only thing that's going to stop that is fearing an uprising from you or fearing some sympathetic northerners that are like, okay, this is too much to come down and and halt it. And these are the same northerners that were fully, you know, uh, supportive of slavery and only only abolished it because they had to. So there's also some back of the mind hope that you could change their minds and make them go, okay, slavery's back. Just stop doing this lynching. Uh, but most of it is just you know passionate like vengeance. Oh yeah. Um, and and so that's exactly what this is talking about. So, I mean, this is, this is, you know, obviously, you know, for the rest of this book content warning ahead, not that this hasn't been a very dark book in that sense, because it's a dark history that it's being, yeah, it's being objective about, uh, this is probably not going to get much better. Nope. Yeah. (sighs) Speaking of not getting much better, General Fisk said in early 1866, I have today received the statements of two very respectable colored men who went into northern Mississippi from Nashville and rented plantations. You can rent a plantation. Uh, Both of them were (laughs) men of means and one a a reputed son of Isham G. Harris, a former governor of Tennessee. Of course, he was with that kind of a name. Both were very, very intelligent colored men. Okay. They have been driven out and warned not to put their feet within the state again. Their written statements and affidavits I have and will cheerfully place them in the hands of the committee if they desire it. They are reliable men. I know them both. Uh, that whole paragraph seemed unnecessary, but fine. Uh, a former Mississippi yeah. slaveholder wrote, as a man who has been deprived of a large number of persons he once claimed as slaves, hmm, don't love that phrasing, I protest against such a course. If it is intended to follow up the abolition of slavery by a liberal and enlightened policy, by which I mean bestowing upon them their full rights of other citizens, then I can give this movement my heart and hand. There we go, okay. But if the Negro is to be left in a helpless condition, far more miserable than that of slavery, I would ask what was the object of taking him from those who claimed his services <sighs> that's a really uh 
that yeah I, we just I talked about that if, but it, that's a very there's there has to be some reality to that if that person said it and Du Bois is citing it yeah um that's that's an interesting statement where I don't know how there's definitely some reality to that and Du Bois is citing it because he's citing the reality but I don't know how honest that person is you know because is that person like no they'll be left helpless and they're basically saying that hoping to get the slaves back you know kind of like a like you know i you know i i support uh your lifestyle but i don't believe in it type type shit like that Uh, or they are really like look how fucking humane this is like i was you know i i'm in a competitive market i was willing to Maybe this is one of the people that that treated their slaves well and thought they were the good slave, you know, the benevolent slaveholder, and they're like, "Look, you know, I was willing to partake in this horrible system, right? Because it, it's it's just it's the economy that's out there. It makes the world tick. I was happy to do it. But if you're going to abolish it, don't leave them out here to die. Which right? is a valid, and that is a valid concern. The the answer can't be we're going to take away. This is back. It's yeah. back to the whole concept of you want a moment where you did reparations. This is the moment where you directly did reparations. Like if yeah. you just rip out the, the, if you, if your expectation of how you solve a, a, a crisis this deep is remove the, the, the initial thing and then go, we fixed it. Like that's not yeah. how that ever works. Kind of like we needed a whole reconstruction phase to to reconstitute the nation and economy and everything else along more equitable lines. I mean, that's the thing. It's like even it's not necessarily a climb to the top of the mountain. I don't I don't think that's always a good analogy for revolution. But even if you do think it is and even if you think after after the peak, it's all downhill, you're not instantly on the ground. If you climb to the top of the mountain and you're out of energy and out of resources and you go, ta-da, I did it. You're just going to die at the top instead of climbing up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you got to follow these things through. Yep. Amen. All right. Oh, God. Back to another one. General Chelton tells us that while he was in command for two months of the Jackson District containing nine counties, there was an average of one black man killed every day. Well, look That's at that. That's not good. And that in moving out 40 miles on an expedition, he found seven seven Negroes wantonly butchered. Mm, I don't like that word. Don't like like any of that. Colonel Thomas, assistant commissioner of the Freedmen's Bureau for this state, tells us that there is now a daily average of two or three black men killed in Mississippi. The sable patriots in blue as they return are the objects of a special spite. Ah, So, I mean, and of course that makes sense, you know, you're going to fight for the North. You're going to be the biggest targets of these lynch mobs. Yeah. Yeah. But why would you not have fought for the North fought for your freedom? Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, it's, it's a horrible reality and it's exactly why, you know, going back to business as usual. I mean, it's, this is the problem with, with the idea of the civil war as, as a revolution. Cause of course it was, the closest thing to a revolution this country had because of the abolition of slavery. And it was the, the slaves fighting for their own freedom that caused that. But it wasn't a full-on revolution, uh, not just from the failures of completion of Reconstruction, but you can see from the get-go here and, and in very murderous and, and despicable ways. And it's that way from the get-go because while they gained their freedom from slavery, they didn't gain power, right? They weren't, mm-hmm. they weren't the ones in charge, you know, you, you can't have this uprising and then, okay, well, you know, the same people are in charge, but the, the Southerners lost a thing, you know, and they can't be extra bad. And like, 
well, they're just going to be really, really pissed off and still more powerful than you. And by the way, they've got some guns in their hand from this war that just happened. Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah, you gotta, you gotta finish the job. You can't, can't climb to the top and give up again. You know, I mean, Governor Sharkey. I'm about to say, tell me about Governor Sharkey because I don't, I don't want to anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Governor Sharkey of Mississippi said, my expectation concerning them is that they are destined to extinction beyond all doubt. We must judge of the future by the past. I could tell you a great many circumstances to that effect. I am so sorry I did not come prepared with the means to state the percentage of deaths among them. It is alarming, appalling. I think they will gradually die out. Mm. General Fisk. Yeah, no, I know. Mm. (laughs) Uh, General Fisk received a letter from a rich planter living in DeSoto County, Mississippi. He had on his plantation a little girl and wrote me a long letter in relation to it, with clo- which closed up by saying, as to recognizing the rights of freedmen to their children, I will say there is not one man or woman in the South who believes that they are free, but we consider them as stolen property. Stolen by the bayonets of the damned, damnable United States government, yours truly, T. Yancey. And it, uh, Old oh, he continues. Yeah, continues. There is one thing that must be taken into account that the, that is there will exist a very strong disposition among the masters of control of these people and keep them a subordinate and subjective class. Undoubtedly, they intend to do that. I think the tendency to establish a system of serfdom is the great danger to be guarded against. I talked with a planter in Lafourche district near to Teb- yeah, we'll go, with, we'll go with sure. Tebaduville. Um, he said he was not in favor of secession. He avowed his hope and expectation that slavery would be restored if there was some form. I said, if we went away and left these people now, do you suppose you could reduce them to slavery? He laughed to scorn the idea that they could not. What, I said? These men have had arms in their hands. Yes, he said. We should take the arms away from them, of course. Uh, uh, precursor to, to Reagan in California. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, again, you can see that the just in his most terrible, evil, bald faced form um, where these yearnings of, quote unquote, big government by, you know, Southern and Republican and especially explicitly racist and Confederate flag waving people talk about, you know, this is this is where if there there are four flags that are totally interchangeable. And usually at any given moment, you will see two of them at once together, right? Rarely are they totally separated, uh, but sometimes they're totally separated, but any one of them is, is the exact same flag. Okay. And that's the Confederate flag, the, the thin blue line flag. Um, of course, you know, a Trump 2020 thing and the snake flag. And, oh, and this flag. is the, and this, this is the, the opening of the snake flag. And you see how brutal, and and evil it is on its face not that you don't know that but this this really drives that home you know there was no inconsiderable number of southerners who stoutly maintained that negroes were not free the planters party holy shit the planters party oh Uh, i don't think that's the peanuts guys yeah uh the planter god damn it (laughs) mr peanut in a white seersucker suit you have your image that took me such a long second to process. I was trying to figure out why you were referring to Snoopy. Uh, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so anyway, the Planters Party of Louisiana in 1864 proposed to revive the Constitution of 1852 with all its slavery features, of course. Mm. Uh, that's a, this is, that's, a, that's an interesting tactic. We've lost the war, but let's do it one more again. Yeah. One more again, please. Um, wait, bets on anybody in this party with the last name Duke. I'm, I'm putting money on that. <laughs> uh, they believed that Lincoln had emancipated the slaves in rebellious parts of the country as a war measure. Slavery remained intact within the federal lines, except as the return of the fugitives. And oh. might be reinstated everywhere as close at the close hostilities, or in any case, compensation might be obtained by lo- loyal citizens through the decision of the Supreme Court. Well, they knew how reactionary the Supreme Court was. That's pretty. Uh, I love how they thought that the, the white people were the ones that would get reparations in this particular instance. Yeah, that's yeah. that's uh, that's a little bit rich. <laughs> the situation in Texas was peculiar during the war. Tex- oh, Texan. Oh, Texan produce. God damn it. I, thought I don't it want to hear Texan anything about pro- the peculiarities of Texas. I'm sorry, y'all. I, I thought it said Texan produced, and I thought it was a typo for Texas produced. No, Texan produce had been sent to Europe by the way of Mexico, and a steady stream of cash came in, which made slavery all the more valuable. Oh, good. During the war, slavery got more good, valuable. Good, That's great. Very good. Very uh, solid. Nothing wrong here. At the end of the war, slavery was essentially unimpaired. When the federal soldiers approached, some of the planters set their Negroes free, and some Negroes ran away. But most of the Negroes were kept on the plantations to await federal action. Yeah, you should expect something to happen. That's part Mm -hmm. of the problem we're talking about. And there was widespread belief that slavery was an institution and would continue in some form. The Uh, Houston, Texas Telegraph... Yeah, I know. Uh, The Houston, Texas Telegraph was of the opinion that emancipation was certain to take place, but that compulsory labor would replace slavery. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Compulsory labor would replace slavery? Yeah. Excuse me. You just used a synonym. We... We got rid of all the salt and replaced it with sodium product. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Do you want this water or do you want this dihydrogen monoxide? (laughs) since the negro was about to be or was to be freed by the federal government solely with the view of safety of the union his conditions will be modified only so far as to ensure this that is a terrifyingly correct take and i don't like it no it's Um, dead on though (laughs) yeah um but not so far as materially to weaken the agricultural resources of the country. Again, it's terrifyingly accurate by a mass of very evil people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Therefore, the Negroes would be compelled to work under police regulations of a stringent character. Now, again, you get where police came from. Um, Mr. Sumner reported in 1866, a special slave trade from the South to the West Indies and South America. Another big trade is going on that, that of running Negroes to Cuba and Brazil. They are running through the country dressed in Yankee clothes, hiring men, giving them any price they ask to make turpentine on the bay, sometimes on the rivers, sometimes to make sugar. They get them on the cars, and of course the Negro don't know where he is going. They get they get him to the bay and tell him to go to the steamer and go around the coast. And go, away goes poor Cuff, Cuffy to slavery again. They are just cleaning out the section of the country of the likeliest men and women in it. Federal officers are mixed up in it, too. Gross. Uh, 
Yeah. Gross. Pretty, pretty bad. Uh, so much for the attitude of the owning, owning class, the former slave owners. But the great mass of Southerners were not slaveholders. They were white peasant farmers, artisans with few merchants, and professional men. Large numbers of these were fed by the federal government and formed a considerable proportion of the fugitives after the war. General Hatch reported in 1866, the poorer classes of the white people have an intense dislike towards Negroes in Mississippi. Five-sixths of the soldiers in the Confederate Army were not slave owners and had fought against the competition of Negroes for their continued slavery. The most discouraging feature was the utter helplessness of the white community in the face of the terrible problem. Almost any thoughtful traveler could see that the majority of whites were parasites, idlers, and semi-vagabonds. According to Sidney Andrews, the Negro, as bad as his condition is, said he, seems on me, on the whole, to accommodate himself more easily than the whites do to changing situation. I should say that the question of the issue of the South is not what shall be done with the Negro, but what shall be done with the whites. The blacks manage to live comfortably for the most part and help each other, but the whites accustomed to having all their affairs managed by an aristocracy, which was then ruined, seemed powerless. They chose committees and reported cases of suffering, but any organized action on a large scale could not be expected. It was hoped that aid of the whites could come from the north, for fearful distress of hunger was inevitable. This is um, this is an interesting point to touch on because – Again, you know, I mean, a big part of this is tying this back to organizing and, and, and things today, right? And yeah. something we've been very vocal about is, you know, uh, colonized people will lead the revolution. Yes. Okay. Um, the revolution in any technical capacity should not be led by white people nope. uh, in any way. Um, you know, I mean, that, that – white people's a class, obviously. Um, that would be disastrous. And uh, it doesn't really need white people. But – it's going to be a hell, hell, hell of a lot easier and more successful if we get some amount of white people on board. Now, that does not mean like reach out to the most racist people or especially in any way that, that you know, blunts your politics, right? Yeah. Uh, what that does mean is there's different organizing, you know, practices, right? I mean, there's, of course, parties that, that organize and you'll see their politics – and we talked about, you know, I mean, your party's going to come out pretty white if your politics are white. Um, it, yep. There's going to be parties whose politics aren't aren't so white, right? I mean, they're going to be more communist. They're going to stand with the the colonized people uh, better, and they're going to have you know much more diverse parties, mostly led by colonized people, but with white people, you know, just as equal membership. Uh, there's going to be organizing parties that only organize colonized people, and it's just you know white people. You you organize yourselves. And then there's going to be parties, and this is kind of like the approach uh, the Black Panthers took, and it, it seems like the new African uh, Black Panther Party takes, uh, where you know they're going to organize colonized people, right? They're going to organize black people, and white people need to organize themselves. But white people's organization should be should be supportive of the the black organization. It's one big cause, and we're all working together for socialism. Um, and and that's where that's important because all of a sudden you know you start talking about well this has to be led by white people and it's oh you know is that a cop out does that mean I don't got to do anything that this is other this is another people problem and I'll just do my little part and it's no that's not what it means at all you know maybe the emerging vanguard party is one of these parties that that doesn't you know have any restriction on colonized people versus uncolonized people and white people can be in leadership is every big part and the decolonial politics will just you know have the decolonial cream rise to the top will be mostly colonized people, right? 
in, in leadership. Yeah. Um, and in that part, you know, you could be leadership or you could be a rank and file or, or whatever, you know, but you still need to do your part. Um, if it's something more along the line of the pattern of the Black Panther Party and you're organizing into like, you know, White Panthers and Maryland Buck Brigades and that kind of thing, um, you know, it's a very, very important work. As you can see, because not only are, you know, these still, you know, poor people that need to be liberated in their own way among poor white people, but obviously the main cause that we need to do is decolonial, you know, is land back, uh, is uh, finally ending the racism in this country. Uh, and that's, that's how you're going to bring about socialism. And socialism is necessary to that and is necessary to organize among white people so you don't have this ability of white people. Because I don't believe, you know, if, if, if you're poor and being poor makes you racist, I'm sorry you were racist, right? But there's yeah. a lot of people that are, are in that like squishy, you know, apolitical, unmoved, can go anywhere pile, right? And before they become racist, they're they're more easily more receptive to the racist stuff if, if they're poor, if they're out there on the streets, right? And so you need to politically educate them. Hey, this causes our cause and not in a in a um, class reductionist way, right? Like, oh, we're liberated and racism will go away because obviously that's not true. Um, But in a way that, you know, the only way we're going to, we're going to get our way, our lives are going to get better with socialism. The only way to get socialism in any capacity in this country, that's incredibly capitalist is, is decolonialism is land back is, is, you know, liberation, full, full liberation uh, of black people and indigenous people and people of color, you know, is, is, ending um these concentration camps along the border it's not it's not fooling around and doing this class reductionism um and it's certainly not competitive uh, with decolonialism they're not at odds they're they're not they're, they help each other right all part of the same project yeah and uh so it's getting people politically educated around that while affecting the material conditions um uh, and of course you know materially supporting black liberation indigenous liberation at the same time so that we can turn over power um and so you can see here not only most importantly and that the real concentration of, of what we've read in this chapter should be that the north didn't care about emancipation and didn't send anybody in to protect the black people who were dying and hoard the lynch mobs and they were the ones that were having the real problem in the south not these you know poor unemployable white people but the entire economy changed and they were dependent on these slave owners and and you're going to see this too i mean look at where people are most reactionary in the united states is the suburbs well you look at the suburbs versus you know urban areas and and black areas you know i mean community leaders uh, and those areas are going to be people that that organize because they have to organize. You go out to the suburbs, the community leaders are the small business owners who, you know, run the community events um, and are on all, all the boards of Alderman. I mean, those are the community leaders, the church leaders, you know, that kind of thing like that, right? I mean, church leaders are going to be leaders in any community, but it, it's it's going to be much more the reactionary wealthy people. And if capitalism goes away and the reactionary wealthy people are going to um, – stop being reactionary or stop being wealthy. They're not going to stop being reactionary. Uh, And you don't have them to lean on out in the, you know, out in the suburbs or, you know, even white people in urban areas, stuff like that. White people aren't going to know where to turn and there's going to be panic and there's going to be disorganization. And so we've got to organize those white people and we've got to teach them what their cause is. And it's not going to be the people earning, you know, 
$80,000 a year in, in management, living in God knows where in the suburbs. It's going to be people in, you know, suburban and suburban towns that are barely scraping by owning a house or for the most part renting and, and, you know, need to organize strikes and stuff like that. And it's, it's educating them about what their cause is to prevent this, you know, kind of force against the already struggling black liberation. Now, obviously, again, arming, organizing, protecting, uh, setting up the material conditions for colonized people is the far more important cog in this machine. But everything helps, and that's an important role we got to play. So we've been very open that the revolution's got to lead by colonized people. And one of the ways to do that is a party that only allows colonized people. We've seen a couple different parties try that, and that's an interesting approach that may work. That's not the only approach that will work or one that that we necessarily are endorsing or not endorsing. Uh, but whatever whatever the technique is, the revolution's got to be led by colonized people, and that doesn't mean white people wash our hands of it and just watch it happen. We've got to be on the front lines. Yeah. And in addition to being on the front lines, we've got to be organizing within white communities. Yes. And there are numerous different ways that you can be doing that. The best thing right now, again, as as we are <laughs> spiraling further into nonsense, is just get out. And I, I can promise you getting out and trying to get involved is, is going to be the next step. We are not going to be doing this as lone wolves. We have to be organized in some form or fashion. So, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> again, you know, people are used to leaning on small businesses and things in these white areas, we said, and people are used to self-organizing, but it's going to be much more stressful tasks as as police brutality cracks down here, but also for, for every facet, there's what, 28 million people that are about to be thrown into homelessness. Oh yeah. Um, Any day now. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we need to get out there. Yes. (laughs) We need to get out there. You need to be out uh, yesterday, ideally, but the sooner we can do it again there. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you need to like have uh, as much. I don't want to, I don't want to put deadline on it and panic because panic can lead to, uh, not only adventurism, but it's it's typically a, a you know a very fascist way to go Don't about things. Do adventurism um, <laughs> cannot state right, this enough. Right, no, and I'm not saying adventurism is necessarily fascist. It's just short sighted revolutionaryism that can be counterproductive. I'm saying that that the idea of panic is is generally like you know this is impending doom and it's got to be taken care of yesterday because that's that's to you know make you falter and and fall into leaning on power right again you know that that's a uh, a fascist technique for that reason so that you don't organize yourself uh, organize yourselves don't expect yourself if you, there's not a party apparatus there to like raise one up from the ground tomorrow and have the best most organized most revolutionary party ever but get out there now yeah exactly so be patient with yourself but be patient with yourself starting the work right away if somehow you haven't already. Yeah, be patient with yourself and that don't expect that you're going to have the best organization overnight. But if the only excuse No, you're going to make have, mistakes, you're going to learn, it's going to yeah. take time. If the excuse gonna, we have is, well, there's no organization here. Well, everyone's going to say that until there's an organization there. And it's just there there is yeah. no there is no and amount of not, time that we can continue to to be idle in this in You're this not going to be an organization that helps a thousand people a week. No, for a while, you know, I mean, no. you're going to help 10 people and then 20 people. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's going to grow on its own. Yes. hundred so. percent. And, and yeah. going out and, and we, we talked about this when we talked to, to, uh, Cam and Lewis from Woe, um, helping mm-hmm. going out and materially helping two or three people is going to be far more impactful and radicalizing than having a million of the best tweets that you can possibly have lined up, ready to go. Like actually doing (laughs) the work materially will one. I mean, again, I would rather have one physical human being 
who believes my cause and wants to help me than like a hundred thousand Twitter followers. Like I, I just, yeah. I just would every day of the week. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously you and I don't do this podcast because we think it does nothing and we wouldn't be sitting there on social no. media and there wouldn't be orgs that, that in addition to their on the ground work uh, are on social media because they think it does nothing. It's obviously has an impact, but a far, again, you know, just like you said, helping two people is going to have a better impact than, than ha- having a million not just sending on a million tweets having a million followers yeah. and being a giant twitter account and and having all the hits or or being like you know the number five podcast in the world so like what we're doing here is important education is important i'm not saying like don't ever use social media no. <laughs> as somebody uses social media but that's not where the revolution is going to happen no you know it's get, not. get out there on the streets and and organize or get all out right. there in the sheets do whatever you know wherever you want to make oh, the God, revolution happen it. my man god Come on. I'm going to smack you in the face. You can't. We're, uh, we're socially distant. I know. I'm safe. I've grown com- I've grown comfortable in my safety you're, from you're your, your abuse. You're too comfortable in it. Yes, it's horrible. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, all right. General Turner said of the conditions in Virginia, among the lower classes of whites, there is a spirit of aggression against Negro. Like, oh, against the Negro. I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> all right. <laughs> there was a there was a general they, they didn't like they just didn't like black just in general the color they also became spanish for a hot second <laughs> and a great many of the negroes are inclined to take the thing in their own hands and they're they're not this they're not disposed to be imposed upon by those people if they can have half the show to defend themselves yeah i mean they're not going to fuck around they just won the civil war yeah. uh with the lower classes i speak now more particularly of the city of richmond probably the feeling does not exist to such an extent in the rural districts there is an impulsive feeling of aggression a desire to get the negro out of the way they do not think of his rights they do not appear to know what it means only they feel that the negro has something Mm, that fun nebulous uh economic precarity or or fear that they all blame trump's election on i'm I'm seeing it rise up again yes general fist spoke of tennessee it is a melancholy fact that among the bitter and bitterest opponents of the negro in tennessee are the intensely radical loyalists of the mountain district the men who have been in our armies the poor classes of the white people have an intense dislike toward them, said General Hatch. He especially emphasizes the situation in Tennessee and spoke of the aid that was being given to the white fugitives. He said that the Negro knew that without legal rights, he was not safe from the poor whites and that he had not issued to the Negroes one tenth of the rations that he had given the poor whites. Mm. The hatred toward yeah. uh, the hatred toward the Negro as a freeman. Oh, well, I guess that's a thing too, right? I mean, we're going to, talk about that that was a a big part of racism you know ending welfare right is he just said the negro hasn't been given one tenth of the rations that he gave the poor whites and yet the poor whites just hate the negro right is what they're saying they hate black people and now the book's got me saying the negro i feel really weird um (laughs) yeah please don't say that (laughs) yeah we're not gonna that's not gonna be the way i'm wording it when i'm not reading the book but it's just that my brain had yeah no we're in book mode i get it yeah yeah um but anyway uh But I mean, the poor white people hated, hated the black people and they saw the black people as getting more and themselves as having it worse. And the black people, not the white masters, not the greedy capitalist owners, uh, you know, as as the cause for it. Right. As the problem. And this is something that festered for 
it, until now. And, you know, no, this is still... It's happening yeah. now with the... I mean, you're seeing... Well, welfare ex- is gone, and yeah. things like SNAP and unemployment are seen as welfare, and minimum wage are seen as somehow still part of welfare, and there's still an animosity towards there. Because it's, you know, well, what are they going to get? $9 now? And what they really mean is those stupid black people are getting money and I'm not getting a raise. Well, it's, you know? the, it's the argument. It's the same. And we go through this in, permu- in, in different permutations, you know, different ways. But you're seeing it very acutely right now with the the talk about, you know, unemployed, you know, how how Lindsey Graham and, and the gang are, going, are, are turning this conversation into these people are just loving that $600 a week or whatever it is that they're getting right. unemployment. Oh, they just need to get back to work. And everyone going... This is insane that they make more on unemployment than I'm making going to work. And it's like, hang on a second. Yeah. How how have you lost the thread this hard that you're not recognizing that the person you should be mad at for paying you less than that is not the person getting unemployment benefits, but your fucking boss? How do you not yeah. see that very obvious? Like it's it's like a two degree turn and you can spot it clear on and you are just so like head up your ass backwards that you have to see it as a zero sum game where if they're getting it you're not yeah but again you know i mean people are trained to be that way by the very oppressors that <sighs> want to keep that system in line as cited by Du Bois uh, calling up uh, General Fisk's quote here, uh, which I will continue. The hatred toward the Negro as a free man is intense among the low and brutal who are the vast majority. Murderers, sh- or murders, shootings, whippings, robbing, and brutal treatment of every kind are daily inflicted upon them. And I'm sorry to say, in most cases, they can get no redress. They don't know where to complain or how to seek justice after they have been abused and cheated. Habitual deference toward the white man makes them fearful of his anger and revenge. Again, this is the problem with them not being you know they seized the moment and it was very yeah. good for them to do and it was a major step forward but unfortunately since it was seizing the moment and not taking on their own whole revolution which of course it was i mean they were they're in a totally unfair position and they were doing everything they can and revolutions take they were a long chattel time slaves a they can't have had were, like a, a, a there wasn't a lot of time for organizing and planning this out Yes. Uh, that said, the unfortunate outcome of that, that horrid situation is that they didn't come out with the power. And now without the power, where do they turn? You know, do they turn to their oppressors to fix the problem? And again, this is a problem with prison abolition, right? Or with not a problem. You run, you run into with prison abolition. It's like, where are you going to turn? What if there's no prison? What if there's no cops? And it's like, uh, people can't turn to their oppressors now. Right. No. You have a mental health crisis and you call 911 for a wellness check and, or, and, or you have a friend or family member who has that and somebody could die. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- who do you turn to? Yeah. And that was the exact same problem they had here. The union members of the Tennessee legislature said that long before the war, common laborers had learned to curse the Yankees and abolitionists and to talk about the Negro equality and his rights in, in the territories. With all this, with a great degree of personal violence, leaving out for the moment the group violence, <laughs> leaving just setting that aside. Don't worry yeah. about the mobs. Nah, uh, the, organized f- the organized fights against the Negroes, which was continuous, the personal physical op- opposition was continually in existence. A candidate for the Congress in Virginia in 1865 said, I'm opposed to the southern states being taxed at all for the redemption of this national debt, either directly or indirectly. Of course you are. Of Taxation course is theft, you sugar. Are. Of course uh, you are. 
and I will vote to repeal all laws that have herefore been passed for that purpose. <laughs> and in doing so, I do not consider that I violate any obligations to which the South w- was a party. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I totally don't see how, how this is my it's not my problem. Not, not my, my problem. problem. Not my problem. Yeah. Uh, we have never plighted our faith for the redemption of the war debt. <laughs> they they never it? asked you to pay back. The, you took away my slaves and we never asked you to pay it back, which, by the way, is bullshit. We just you read that just they did. did. A few it was around. like a page yeah. and a half ago. <laughs> the people will be borne down with taxes for years to come. Even if the war debt is repudiated, it will be the duty of the government to support the maimed and disabled soldiers. And this will be a great expense. And if the United States government requires the South to be taxed for the support of the Union soldiers, we should insist that all disabled soldiers should be maintained by the United States government without regard to the side they had taken in the war. That already happened! They, won't, won't you think of the poor traitors? That already, they already did that! There's a fucking Confederate monument in Arlington! Get fucked! God damn it. I also do love, and we talked about this on uh, on a couple episodes ago when I was over on Dumb and Awful side. Um, yeah. But there is, if you do you know the story of Arlington as like as like how it came to exist? No. We're okay. talking Arlington National Arlington Cemetery. Arlington National Cemetery. Yeah. The the big the big one, the whole who to do to do. Yeah. Um was actually um I think his name is Means. Um or meats or something like that. It's something with an M. I'll, I, I, I'm not here for accuracy. That's not my job. Um, <laughs> but basically, he was the logistics dude for the Union Army. Um, his whole okay. job was like he was like the be- he was like UP like proto UPS. Like he would know like he timed out exactly when Sherman was going to get to Atlanta and like had supply trains there like 12 minutes after he got there. Like just boom, boom, boom. Like had this like genius mind for logistics and shit. And he fucking nice. hated Robert E Lee with a passion that burns like a thousand friends naming hot sons this guy um, sounds sounds pretty sweet I, yeah, I, yeah, all in all like if you have to stand any civil war figure this is the guy to do um but he uh arlington was robert e lee's house oh that was his plantation really yeah arlington plantation that was his house that was his personal plantation and they started burying the dead everywhere as a way to make sure he could never come back to his house Wow. Yeah. That's actually kind of fucking. So they started bare. And then eventually the guy said, oh, well, we'll, you know, we'll eventually be able to to take it back. Like one of his sons was, we'll eventually be able to take it back and, and re, you know, you know, plow over it and make sure everything's fine. And well, and so he just started planting dead bodies in the flower beds just out of spite, just everywhere he could find a place to make it just completely impractical for him to ever come back to. And then he made Arlington such a big deal, like such a, 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 a huge morale needed place. Uh, that it was literally impossible for Lee or his family to ever come back and claim it. The house is allowed to stand. Like, that's the only thing that stands. It's like a museum or something like that now. But all the other land and stuff like that that they owned, nope, federal governments, they took it. Wow. <laughs> Just as a big fuck you to Robert E. Lee that, from this one dude who had beef. It was great. That is that is amazing. If you actually. want a much more detailed and uh, uh, actually sourced version of that story, dumb and awful. It was like four episodes ago or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I you know still obviously can't can't go clap clap hooray you know troop 
giant no, overdone troops. I mean, fuck plot. that, obviously. And there's a fucking Confederate war monument is, there. Yeah, but again, yeah, you but can, the context is fantastic. Everyone can appreciate a petty bitch who loves drama. We we stand Lenin. We both know that petty bitches who love drama are our particular uh, <laughs> our particular steeds, and I'm very here for it. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. The national debt doubtless seems oh, to you. Oh, we're beyond- back at it again. Yeah, and oh. we have to finish we have to finish the great national debt quote. Nathan. The national fucking debt? Really? Yes, the national it's, it's debt. It's been going it's, this long? Have we not realized you, it's bullshit Pete, by now? Pete Peterson was a Confederate soldier, let's be let's be honest. <laughs> this is fucking <laughs> Uh, the national debt doubtless seems to you beyond the reach of any hand, yet I regard it as very probable that one or two or all three of the things will be attempted within three years after the Southern members of Congress are admitted to the seats. The repudiation of the national debt, the assumption of the Confederate debt, or the payment of several hundred million dollars to the South for property destroyed and slaves emancipated. I mean, yeah, they assumed the, Fed- the Confederate debt. They had to. That was the only way they'd get them back in. Yeah. You can't you can't do a World War One treaty of Versailles with a part of your country. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I yeah, totally I, get that. I all right. That's you know what? Now I'm mad. I'm mad and we're done. That's it. We're done reading. <sighs> Shut up. We're done reading. We're not reading anymore. Ever. We're done. We made four pages and this, I didn't feel like we were off track. This has been the last episode of Mark's Madness because I don't want to read anymore. Um uh, I know, I know. No. We'll be back. Same Mark's time, same Mark's place. Uh, um, but we are, me. yeah, we are done for this one. Um, hey, you probably heard something that we said wrong. Maybe we pronounced a, a name wrong. Maybe we just completely <laughs> goofed on something else that we thought we had down. Um, maybe you didn't like my sweet story about that one sassy guy who didn't enjoy Robert E. Lee very much. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, if you want to bring that to our attention, you have some means of doing that. One of which is you can email us at marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Uh, it's marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. We respond. Most of the time. Almost all the time. 99% of the time, we're responding. Yeah, we're pretty good at responding. We're pretty good. We're pretty good. Um, (laughs) Next up, you can find us on the Twitter. Uh, We're at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. We're hanging out. Uh, DMs are open. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll chat. We'll have conversations. We'll tweet stuff. Um, Yeah. David's Twitter is yeah, a much better follow, and you can find that from our personal, from our show Twitter. But if you want to have actual engaging content, follow that one. If you just want to know when the show gets released, follow follow the Mark's account. Um, I posted shit about getting soap mixed up with face wash today. Don't kid yourself. That's why people go to Twitter. <laughs> You're giving the con- people the content they need. Um, and then last but not least, if you want a, a fun, real-time, back-and-forth dialogue... Um, where where I dump my brain and then talk about building a computer and other things that we've been doing. Uh, come to Discord. Uh, it is a it is a, a clear something up just in case people are curious. It is a shared Discord. It is not just the Marks Madness Discord. It is uh, a dumb and awful slash Marks Madness Discord. They they just let us squat in there and then handle handling all the hard stuff for me. And by us, I'm there like once. Yeah, every David. Several again, months. David is David it's is our divorced parent David. who shows up once once a month and 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 gives us hope that the angels are going to win the pennant and then drives off on his motorcycle. Um. And and we we go off into our our beautiful future, but uh, yeah, no, we there's that's just a very good place. Again, we it's just good comrade talk. It's a good place to 
you know, you, I, you wake up, you say hi, you have a feeling of community and can talk to like-minded people and you'll, and we, we joke, we watch movies, we play video games, we do all sorts of fun stuff in there. It's good times. Um, <laughs> that being said, we did the disclaimer last time, I'm pretty sure. So we'll do the disclaimer at the next episode. We're not disclaiming right now. Uh, we're going to talk to you next week unless David has any other fun insights. David? Uh, no. Sweet. No, we're good. <laughs> that being said, my name's Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.